This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. It is Monday morning and it's Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, Carol. How in the heck are you? Well, I'm pretty good. I'm eating a bite of red velvet cookie made by our friend Kevin Farrell. Oh, yes, Sorry, I have. you called on me a little too soon. You're still chewing. It's okay. <laughs> this, is a, uh, this is a show all about the culture of Southern flavor, so we're expected to eat while we're on the air. Yes, and I, I think it's important we do this for our listeners. We eat for you. Well, we, we do. We eat we because sample. we care. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> we sample many things so we can talk about them with an informed opinion. So we're also having uh, a lovely pumpkin chess pie here in the studio. Java's busy chowing down on his, and I just finished my bite that you made. Well, you know, the reason we're having this is once we talked about chess pie last week. And chess pie. It's chess pie. It is chess pie. It's a (laughs) southern tradition, and... Mm -hmm. You can make it pretty much with what you have on hand at home, um. which is a lot of sugar, some eggs, some butter, and maybe a tablespoon of flour or cornmeal. Mm. But this pumpkin chest pie came about because of you, my friend. That's right. I have been cleaning out <clears throat> the attic at Howlin' Mouse for some six-plus months now. And going through lots of files and folders and boxes, and I mean, who knew? But Saturday morning, I was up there merrily going about my cleaning, organizing, and discovering uh, activities and came across a little 5 by 8 card that had a pumpkin chest pie recipe on it. And I took a photo of it and sent it to you because we'd been talking about chess pie just here on deep south last monday and i received it in my text messages and it looked properly smudged and worn and i automatically thought it was from your brother hal's collection of recipes and you know it's well you do know that hal was my all-time favorite soup Nazi and soup maker, and he's known for so many other dishes, but I had never known how to have a recipe for sweets, and so I was immediately intrigued, but I was wrong. Well, it, it was a, you were going down a good rabbit hole, but I was confused because um, we were texting back and forth, as we do in these modern times, uh, and you were asking me questions about how, and I kept answering the questions and and then i finally said this has nothing to do with how this is a recipe i found in in the archives and you said oh and you said well send me the back side of it because the obviously the instructions were not included on the the front of the card that i photo yeah so i was already deep down the rabbit hole by the time you (laughs) sent me you know thinking of how listening to music found a can of pumpkin in the back of the cabinet and i was off and running on chess pie and after making the pumpkin chess pie i could not decide if it was a natural occasion or not i just couldn't decide a natural occasion well i just thought it might be an unnatural 
combination. Oh, chess, chess and chess pumpkin. and pumpkin. I got you. But I must say that this morning, after it settled, <clears throat> yes, properly, like a chess pie, it is more chess pie like, and I brought it to you in Java for comments. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the one bite I've had so far because, I, as I said to you, I can taste both the pumpkin and the chess ingredients. Uh, it's very sweet, um, but I think it's uh, really nice. I think at this time of year, as we start thinking about the holidays and the fall, pumpkin absolutely comes to mind, the autumn, and I think this is a recipe that uh, we should share. And as I recall, when... You said, hey, I need the flip side for the cooking instructions. Uh, that was on a, a Saturday I had sent it to you. On Sunday morning, I flipped it over, sent it to you. And it turns out it was from a woman uh, related to New Stage Theater. I didn't quite understand that and how I ended up with it, but there you go. Okay, Java. Well, my take of the chess pie was um, – Simply, it was good. It was sweet. Now, I will say that because I don't know if that was the first time I've ever had chess pie. Oh, uh, well. The pump, the pumpkin came through nice. So to echo uh, Malcolm, it is right on time for the autumn and the fall season. And will you post it for us? Yes, I will post it. Both the do A want, and B side, or just the A no, side? I need, yeah, because if we go to Java's the DJ, so we'll do we'll <laughs> do the flip side too. Yeah. Because okay. then it's the, the actual card, right? Yeah. yeah. Photograph. Yeah. Okay. I have okay. the card. I photographed it and sent it to Carol. Yeah. But that's an extra special touch. Now, another suite in the studio this morning uh, are the uh, red velvet cookies that Kevin Farrell has made for us. And this is an ongoing uh, Kevin Farrell uh, gift where he read an, a, a novel about cooking uh, for for, for for enjoyment or for release, I forget the story you told it earlier. But I think anyway. it's a, um, a, a mystery novel. Mystery novels and the and the and the and the, the lady who is the the head detective. <laughs> she she she's, she's she a baker, right? Yeah. So you've been breaking and bringing all sorts of sweets uh, to the studio, and last week we you mentioned Kevin Farrell mentioned that he was going to do Red Velvet, and so Carol and I got down the Red Velvet. Rabbit hole. Yeah, we did get, and Kevin, I just want you to know wherever you are out there that you are right on top of things. This is, <laughs> yeah, a trend. Red, red velvet is back with a force. Has been for a few years. It kind of comes and goes, you know, in the cake shops and the cool cupcake shops. But one reason I found out that it started trending. A while back is because of the movie Steel Magnolias. Uh, well, that's been a minute. It has been. It has been a minute, but it, it, you know, it enjoyed another day then because there was a groom's cake in the movie made of red velvet in the shape of an armadillo. Oh, okay. Well. And then about five years ago, it enjoyed yet another resurgence. But, you know, it's really known as a southern cake. Although some people call it a Waldorf Astoria cake because they tried to put their name on it. But it is very famous at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. I got to tell you a Waldorf Astoria story. Just briefly. I will not take long here. My father 
we traveled a lot, and my father had this love, this series of places he loved to stop. But he loved to eat on the road. He loved a good cafe and a roadside diner. We were in this place one time, and we ordered whatever we ordered. <clears throat> and he said, and we'd like some ketchup to go with this. And the waitress said, I'm sorry, sir, we don't serve ketchup. To which my father said, they serve ketchup even at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. Surely you have it here in Macomb. <laughs> that, that is a, a great story. Uh, but, you know, red, the red and red velvet cake has, has been caused by a lot of things during the year. It's actually, red velvet cake is a form of chocolate cake. Mm. It has cocoa in it. Ah, and some dye. It it originally only had the cocoa and the chemical reaction with vinegar and cocoa and baking powder caused it to, you know, turn a reddish brown. But then along came the Depression, mm. and an extract company uh, came up. I guess his name was John Adams. It's like the Adams Food Company. He was up, a Texan, I hear. A Texan. Yes, he was a Texan, and he came up with red dye. And so all of a sudden it went from kind of the muted brown red to bright, bright, bright red. Full-on red. Full-on. And then, as you know, um, red dye number three was found to be hazardous for us. I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed that people our age haven't been killed off because of all the red dye number three that we had in mm. our food yeah but, don't don't eat the red dye number three yeah it's, it's kind of like gone, don't, but there's a new red dye it's not it's not as red but um it's sort of like don't take the brown acid from woodstock exactly do not eat exactly the red dye number three but you can now find red velvet in all sorts of forms and and this is wrong too it's unnatural Protein powder, <laughs> lattes. I mean, God, it reminds me uh, of the pumpkin spice. That's latte. what I was. A red velvet of. latte. Think about that. Pop tarts, mm. waffles, and alcoholic beverages. Wow, a red velvet uh, cocktail. I would rather have a red velvet cake, cupcake, or cookie. Mm. That's that's brutal. Well, now my daughter Zita loves a red velvet cake, and we've had them for every birthday. Uh, along the way. So I'm sure there are fans of the red velvet cake out there. You say it's a southern tradition, yet its origins are in New York. Well, that's debatable. I see. A lot of uh, most food historians think it started in Maryland. So I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that. And um, I'm hoping some of our listeners can yeah. add to the red velvet experience. Now, last week you brought in this squash that was like a horse <laughs> collar. And Java and I and and you were all photographed. And others. You, you on My cooking significant and... other, John Palmer, and our friend, Kim Irby. So you put a montage of photographs on cooking and coping uh, of, of people wearing the squash. Yes, and I wrote, who wore it best? And I'm sad to say, Malcolm, that neither you or Java won. I didn't get a single vote. <laughs> I don't think I was on. Yeah, in the I mean, it was like we weren't even there. <laughs> I know, it was like you weren't even it there. It was a Johnny fan club. <laughs> yeah, it was a John Palmer fan club. But, I mean, um, did he you won see? it. 
squashed down. down. (laughs) Uh, So uh, tell us about the comment on cooking and coping from Roger Cook, one of our great posters. Roger said you should never wear vegetables after Labor Day. No, never wear fruit. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Blew the punchline. Yeah, we didn't rehearse this. No. No. This but is, never wear fruit after Labor Day. Never wear fruit. It's squash season. All right, I want to talk about beef stew really quickly. Kara made a giant pot, you know, sensing the seasonal change. And so we've been having this magnificent beef stew at my house with cornbread using the Patterson's fresh tomatoes that we put up in the middle of the summer. And man, oh, man, oh, Manischewitz, was it good. All right, we've got some callers. We got Richard calling us from Madison, Mississippi. What up, Richard? All right. Are you there, Richard? Maybe we lost Richard. Such is life. We'll go to Yazoo City now. Yazoo County. Bell is on the phone. Hello, Bell. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. I've got another rabbit hole for you. Bring them on. Um, do you have you ever heard of sweet potato cheesecake? I got some at Morrison's, Old Morrison's in Greenville. Good Lord, I guess fifteen years ago, and it was wonderful. Yeah. Yes, so, indeed, Bill. I have. In fact, I ran across it, you know, getting ready for this show when I was looking up uh, the stuff on the red velvet. It went. Yes, it went down a rabbit hole, and. <laughs> There you have it. Do you make it? No, uh, but uh, it, it was so good, and that was the only time I've ever had it. Like sweet potato pie is okay; it's good, but this was wonderful. Hmm. And I've never heard of it before since. And I've asked some gourmet cook friends, and they don't know about it either. I would just say that's cosmic since I saw it this morning. I had never heard about it, uh-huh. but it actually caused me to think, I was like, you know, I need to talk to Malcolm in Java about having our friend April McGregor, who now lives in Philadelphia, but was from Vardaman, Mississippi. She's our sweet potato expert mm-hmm. and has <laughs> written a book. And I was thinking, you know, we really need to have her own during sweet potato season. And that would be a good one to talk about. Well, well, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. You know, speaking of Hal and making pies, he did make a sweet potato pecan pie, which was a sweet potato base with pecan, roasted pecans on the top. And he got that from a friend of ours, Danny Summers, who we worked with in New Orleans. And Danny had a restaurant up on Oak Street called Cafe Savannah uh, in the 80s and 90s. And it was really quite a spot. But he created this sweet potato pecan pie that was yummy all right richard we're going to try richard in madison mississippi one more time hey richard good morning how goes your your comment about the um ketchup in macomb (laughs) uh reminded me of something that happened to me in 1969 we were traveling through connecticut a couple of days after labor day and stopped in one of the shore towns to get some lunch and i ordered iced tea and the waitress haughtily informed me that they didn't serve iced tea after Labor Day. <laughs> Mind you, it was 90 degrees outside. <laughs> so I ordered a glass of ice and a pot of hot tea. Ah. The waitress brought those, 
and its looks could have killed when I poured the tea over the ice. I was dead. <laughs> that <laughs> is you're our kind of guy. It reminds me of enough, but I'd made the point. Of five easy pieces exactly. and Jack Nicholson wanting toast, right. and they didn't have toast, so he ordered a tuna salad. Hold the tuna. Hold the tomato. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't seen the scene from Five Easy Pieces with Jack Nicholson, go YouTube it. It's it's incredible. But so obviously I've there are a lot so of things we can't do after Labor Day, wearing white, hmm. especially white shoes. Right. Can't wear squash. You cannot wear squash, <laughs> or you cannot drink iced tea. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? Richard, thanks so much for listening to Deep South Dining, and thanks for giving us a call. John, are we going to break? Let's take a break here, Carol. And when we come back, we're going to have uh, Sherry Rose Kelly on the phone. She joins us from Tennessee. She is the CEO of the Bell Mead Winery in Nashville. She has published two award-winning cookbooks, and she will join us to share her love of cooking and family and recipes. And after that, we'll talk more about bread, muscadines, and much, much more. So just stay tuned for Sherry and Carol and I as well. Welcome back. You are listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with my skillet buddy, Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Hey, Mal. What a fun show today. Yeah, we had... And we're sitting here eating red velvet cake and pumpkin chest pie. That's right. Not many people do that before 10, but we get to. It's all good. All right. We want to welcome to the show uh, a neighbor of ours in Tennessee, Cherie. Cherie Rose Kelly. Hello, Cherie. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm lovely. How are you all? We all are great, and we're glad you joined us. <laughs> I think this fall weather just makes everybody kind of great. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you were scheduled to appear at the Mississippi Book Festival, and sadly, uh, it got postponed in person. So, man, are we glad we were able to present you right here on Deep South Dining. Socially distanced. <laughs> Thank you all so much. It was it was very disappointing um, to not be able to come down to Mississippi for the festival, but I am glad to be with you all this morning. Well, we always like to talk about what people are cooking and what's going on in their kitchen. So let's let's begin by having you share with us what's happening in your kitchen, which seems to be extensive. Uh, it's not just a regular kitchen. It sounds like you've got a commercial kitchen as well as a home kitchen. I do. On my home kitchen this morning, I actually have some um, apples stewing ready to, I'm going to make it into a, an apple cobbler um, for for this afternoon. Um, but for my other kitchen, there, there, there's a lot of hats that I wear. I have, um, we do a lot of, of uh, tastings at our, at the winery at Bellmead, and we have chef-driven tastings, we, uh, and do all the wine, wine tastings. Um, I, have of course my two cookbooks that have um i just finished up with the serving up summer cookbook that won a gold award with the living now and that is the the cookbook that i've been featuring all this summer um and going into the fall you could go back it back to my breads and spreads which was a cookbook that i um developed back in 2019 and your books are published by mississippi publisher nautilus in oxford right that is correct. Neil White is my publisher, 
and consultant, and another Mrs. Uh, former Mississippian, Robin Munger, was my editor on my oh. cookbooks. Yeah. Well, Robin, you say hello to her. I hope she's listening out there. She <laughs> was just such a great friend uh, back in the 80s here. We we were sad to see Robin and her husband, Dalton, move to Tennessee, but it was certainly Tennessee's win because she Absolutely. is an extraordinary cook, and I'm so happy she's your consultant. Yes, yes. They are dear friends of ours. And Neil White, of course, is a great friend. Um has been for many, many years, and we call each other cousin, though, Carol, we're technically oh. not. Oh, the, the, the big, yeah, the big white family. That's right, the extended white family. So I really, Neil is, is super. Well, I, I really have enjoyed uh, looking through the cookbook. I was going to try to cook something out of it this weekend, but I got diverted by pumpkin chest pie. And a few other things, but what I want to try is your red-hot cold chicken from the book. Mm. <laughs> that's funny that, that you would say that recipe, because um, actually that's Alton, my husband's recipe, and he was like, I can't believe you stole my recipe for <laughs> 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 <Where> your cookbook. <laughs> well, but I've always been a fan of Nashville hot chicken, you know. Back in the day, I mean, 10 or 15 years ago, going to, you know, Prince's in Nashville and having that chicken soaked on that white bread. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about fire. It's a fire you can't put out. It is a fire you can't put out. And I had had that experience once when I uh, didn't understand that I was getting the nuclear uh, (laughs) version of the the red hot chicken. Java says he'll take that nuclear any day of the week. Yeah. No, <laughs> Southern Foodways did a little uh, mini documentary on Princess. It's like a little hysterical five-minute uh, documentary telling the history of it. And they interviewed somebody that actually, sa- it was so hot he sat in a bathtub yeah. to, <laughs> to eat the chicken. I, I don't know how that would cool you off, but I thought it was a great story. It was it will certainly set you on fire, and hopefully you have some bread that's not soaked in the hot sauce to take that fire away. So tell us about, I like the idea of it being cold and pulling it out of the refrigerator, and I think that would make it not so hot. So tell us a little bit about the recipe. It actually does. You know, what What I have found is that I love, you know, different hot sauces, but uh, and Louisiana is one of my favorites. But for this particular recipe, we used um, Texas Pete original hot sauce. And, you know, you want to put it in the refrigerator and, and, and let it soak overnight if you can in the hot sauce. So you'll, you just pour an entire bottle in there, let it soak, and then you cook it on the grill. Um, and it makes for just a lovely, lovely taste. Um, but what I love about I mean, I've all, I love cold fried chicken. So this is a cold, um, hot grilled chicken. So of course it's hot. Then you let it get cold again, and then you you are serve it. Hmm. So do you think it's a distant cousin to the Nashville hot? I would say that it would. It, it could be a distant cousin to that. Um, and, and, and another recipe that I that I introduced in the in this particular cookbook in the Southern Up Summer was a, a jalapeno cornbread waffle. Mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of people are doing chicken and waffles um, and, and 
the red hot chicken um, also, or the Nashville hot chicken. Now, our listeners love to argue, uh, Cherie, about their favorite condiments. And you mentioned your favorite hot sauce is Louisiana. Is that right? That's right. Okay. What about your favorite mayonnaise? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard one because I would go from Duke. Um, probably. Yes. Um, yes. Now you yes. Stir, you're stirring the pot now, Malcolm. Yes. I am stirring the pot. This yeah, is a you... show about people who love to stir the pot. And now the phones yes. will start ringing in defense Uh-oh. of Hellman's Blue Plate. Uh, <laughs> right, right. That, that's good. That's good. I, you know, truly, um, growing up, we ate Miracle Whip a lot. And I mean, that to me, that's kind of gross now, but, um, I, but that, that is, that was what we put in our pimento cheese was Miracle Whip, um, as opposed to to mayonnaise, and that's how, which is and technically even on a tomato not. Sandwich. Yeah, which is te- Miracle Whip is technically not, um, not technically not a mayonnaise. We've we've gone down this rabbit right. hole before, right. um, <laughs> before too. But Miracle Whip has its own loyal fan base. Yes, it does. Yes. That is true. So that is in, true. in your cookbook and in your cooking, when you use a mayonnaise, you say you typically use Dukes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I have a question. This Both of your books, if I understand it correctly, uh, have, have won awards with the uh, Living Now Book Awards. Is that what they're called? Yes, that is correct. Can you explain it's to us? out a, of New York City. Tell us a little bit about the Living Now Book Awards. Well, it, it is a... Um, company from um in new york and i was supposed to be in new york city last thursday receiving my award um for the serving up summer the gold award Uh, but due to covid Mm. uh, we did a virtual award ceremony and party so it was it was fun but uh, i I would love to have been able to to go in person and and receive the award great so both of your books have won this award right Yes, that's correct. The first, my first book, uh, Breads and Spreads, won a bronze in twenty in twenty nineteen, and then this year the gold was serving up summer. So you've moved right on up from bronze to gold. I'm excited about that. I hope. I, I, Congratulations! I, I, I you should be. I don't know where be. else I can go. <laughs> right, bestseller list. Well, I'm madly flipping through the book because there was something the. Uh, is it, is it the pool room? Is it pool house or pool room coleslaw? Pool room slaw. Pool room slaw. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. I was the lucky recipient of Serving Up Summer, but when I saw that recipe, all I could think about was my friend Mal because he loves a slaw, and his brother Hal, who is sadly no longer with us, has a great slaw that um, I use. But I think you must be a slaw lover, too, because you have a couple of recipes. So tell us, tell us about slaw. the pool room slaw. The, the pool room slaw is, is exceptional. And this, this particular recipe, you know, I, I say my before life, I, I, <laughs> there, there is another life before the one that I'm living at the moment. Um, and this was from a previous um, grandmother-in-law. Um, so I, I just, you know, refer to this as my son's great-grandmother's recipe. And that particular family grew up a little bit uh, to the west of us, uh, or east of us, sorry, in Fayetteville. 
Tennessee. And it was a tradition there in Fayetteville for the pool room slaw. But the only way that you could get it from this particular restaurant where it was the best made, um, and because women were not allowed in the pool room. Mm. Um, and yes, yes. And so <laughs> you could only go in there if you were to purchase the pool room slaw on a hamburger and bring it out. Um, of course, the men were allowed to, to eat it there, but the women would go and purchase their hamburgers and bring them home to the family, um, and you weren't, you, you couldn't stay there to eat them in oh, the pool room. So, Cherie, this business, a billiard hall, I take it, was called the pool room? <laughs> Correct. Okay, and yes. so you would go yes. there to, to play pool and bet on the football games and whatever else went on there, but they served burgers. But yes, back in the day, I, I don't. I'm not sure that they're. You know, they wouldn't be watching television. They'd just be no. playing pool. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, we so, had a place like so that. that. Where you were... in, in Boonville, there were two pool halls that served dough burgers, slug burgers. Um, yep. Is that what yours were, Cherie, or were they regular hamburgers? They were regular hamburgers. Okay. Yeah, the thing I liked about the picture. I'm gonna pass this over to Mal. Yeah. I, when I do slaw, I do a lot of grading. Mine is more, you know, long form shredding. Yes. And th- this is very uh-huh. chopped. Very, very, very chopped. This is very uh, Tennessee, I would think. Cherie, do you think it's a, a, a regional? Yes. It it is. It de- the recipe is definitely a regional recipe, um, and and that is, I mean, actually, I put it in the food processor and chopped the. The cabbage and the uh, celery that is in there. I mean, not celery, sorry, carrots that are in there. Mm-hmm. Seems like it would go nicely on a pulled pork or chopped pork sandwich as well. It would, and a hot dog for sure. Ah, it's a hot a, oh, slaw dog. A, yes, yes, on now a hot dog. So paint the yes. picture for us of the Bellmead Mansion and Winery. Well, it is a beautiful uh, scenic area. We're seven miles from downtown Nashville. Um, it we have um, you can tour the mansion, and at the end of the tour, you come to the winery. Every tour ends in the winery for free wine tasting, um, and then we offer many other um, activities there. We we do um, like I said the. Wine and food pairing, chef-driven wine and foods. We have Bellmead Bourbon, Bellmead Bourbon Tours. Um, we do Segway Tours. Um, and this time of the year, it's just absolutely gorgeous with the leaves beginning to turn and the temperature just perfect for being outside um, on our grounds where we have, offer a beautiful magnolia garden where you can enjoy music on the weekends and drink wine. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to see and do. So let's talk about the wine a little bit. I'm intrigued. Do you <laughs> grow the grapes on property? No, we do not. Um, we we don't have enough space there on the property to, to have our vineyards, but we have a vineyard in Hampshire, Tennessee. It's about 40 miles south of Nashville, and that's where our grapes are grown um, for our, our sweeter wines. And, and this is muscadine um, wine, correct? And the, we have the, our number one wine is blackberry. Um, so we have a blackberry wine. Yes. And then, of course, our muscadine would be a, 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 in the second place race there. Um, delicious, 
both of them um, for for sweet wine lovers. Um, we also have vineyards out in California, so that's where we're sourcing our grapes for um, our wines that we are making our drier wines. So it's a fully functional winery as well as, did you say a distillery? You make bourbon there as well? We do not make the bourbon on site. Um, Bell Mead, the name, um, is owned by the Greenbrier Distillery now, um, which in, in Constellation actually owns them. So anyway, it's, it's, uh, but we do have, that is that the name came from Bell Mead itself. Uh, my husband's great, great, great grandfather um, started the Bell Mead bourbon. Um, and so we, we still have, uh, have it there available on the property for tastings. Um, and we do, again, the chef-inspired tastings with, with bourbon, too. Well, great. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Cherie will be right back with us, Carol and I, and Java. will continue talking about all things Southern culture and the flavor thereof and those who love to stir the pot. We'll be right back after a short break. Listening to Deep South Dining uh, right here on MPB Think Radio, Malcolm White with Carol Puckett, and our special guest today is Cherie Rose Kelly. Hello, Cherie. Good morning again. Good morning again, indeed. So uh, we we spoke a little bit in the in the last segment about your two cookbooks, which are award winning. And uh, how long have they both been? The, the there are two of them. One was about the breads and spreads. It was the first one, right? That is correct. Yes. And then your newest book about summer, uh, is, is how long has it been out? Well, it actually came out last year in the middle of COVID. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and so it, I, there was not a lot that I could do. I couldn't go around and do my book signings like I normally do. And so we, I just kind of held on to it. I did a few things with it. And then this year in 20, when we were allowed to get out and about again, um, I started promoting the Serving Up Summer. Got you. You're also the CEO of the Bell Mead Winery or the entire plantation operation. I'm a little confused about that. Just the winery. We okay. have to, the winery is on the property of Bell Mead, and my husband is actually the director for the the mansion itself for that side of, of it, the historic site. And then I run the winery. So. So the plantation uh, is historic, uh, and I guess it goes back many, many years. What was grown on the plantation? Well, the the crop there would have been thoroughbred horses. Oh, yeah, it was one of the most famous <laughs> yes. thoroughbred uh, farms in the in the country. I okay, believe. so you grew grass exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, it was grass, but yeah, it, it was a thoroughbred breeding farm. Um, it was in the leading in the nation, and uh, that was before Prohibition. Hmm. Wow, that's fascinating. And so Kentucky now takes that name, I guess, um, with their their with everything going to to Kentucky during during the pro- Prohibition. So before you were publishing cookbooks and uh, working at the um, the Bell Mead Winery, you were known around there as the Cake Lady. You want to talk to us a little bit about that? <laughs> Sure. I was the regional director for tourism for South Central Tennessee prior to that. And um, coming to Nashville, often my husband took the job at Bell Mead, and I um, was 
away from my 13-county area, but moving to Nashville from Pulaski. And, um, also, and I was in, actually in Columbia when I, when I moved away. But um, I, um, from there, I, I became the Bellamy Cake Lady because I gave up my tourism job and I started baking. Um, in 2005, I lost my son to, um, to suicide. Um, and I turned all of that, all of that, uh, uh, horror into, um, baking, which I love to do. So that was my therapy. And I started making caramel cakes and that was my grandmother's specialty was mm-hmm. a caramel cake. So in those later years in uh, 2006 and seven, I, um, and eight, I was baking cakes and one Thanksgiving I made over 300 um, caramel cakes for the folks here in this area. So it, it was a, a, a big job, and I saw very quickly that that's not exactly what I wanted to do, right. <laughs> um, to, make, to, to make caramel cakes all the time. Wow. So you had a sort of a, a side business or a, a small business of, of baking cakes and selling them around the neighborhood there. Yes, yes, and then I went into the to the business with the wine, and we started the winery in in November of two thousand nine. So that was where, um, and then I took the love of of my food and started developing recipes um, using the wine. And one of the the rec- one recipe that I did that I is very dear to me is is a jam cake. I did a blackberry wine jam cake. Mm. Um, using our blackberry wine, and I reduced the wine down to make a filling um, for the the jam cake, and that recipe will be in my next cookbook. Oh, sounds delicious! We started the show this morning talking about red velvet cake. Do you have a comment, or uh, do I, you, have you made a red velvet cake? I actually have. In fact, a friend of mine. Um, came to me and said, I, would you please make my grandmother's red velvet cake recipe? He said, I have the recipe, and um, my wife hasn't been able to do it, and I can't do it, and I would love for you to try to make this cake for me. And so I did. I made it for him for one Christmas um, several years ago. And um, he he said immediately when he opened up the box, that it smelled just like what his grandmother's cake smelled like. So, you know, and then it tasted the way it was supposed to taste. So I was very pleased that I could could bring back memories um, for for him of his grandmother's recipe. And it was interesting not using a cream cheese frosting. Um, She used a Crisco-based, you know, a shortening base uh, for the frosting. <clears throat> yeah, there were a couple of different frostings originally with it. Um, well, there's a, a mascarpone cheese frosting now, um, the cream right. cheese. And I, I can't remember what the earliest frosting uh, that, was for. It was probably, the, probably a Crisco shortening. Yeah. I mean, a yeah. Crisco I, I mean, uh, I, icing. Right, right. So on the uh, plantation grounds, I'm, I'm just curious, about, is there a restaurant, Cherie? Yes, there is. Um, we have a meet and three, mm-hmm. and it, it's run and by our chef, Stephen Kruger, 
who is originally from Jackson, Mississippi. Yes, he so, was at Barrel House. We know Stephen yes. and his family. Yes, um, that, and he is actually our nephew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Chef, Chef Stephen Kruger is, is our chef at, at the restaurant, yes. Wow, lots of Mississippi-Tennessee connections here. Well, if we keep They're talking, we'll end up being yep. family. We'll be, we'll be related here in just a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I found out what that other icing was just by the, before we get too far away from uh, Red Velvet. It's a butter roux icing. It's, all, it's also called ermine. Oh, ermine. Ermine. Uh, it's, huh. it's light and fluffy, and also buttercream uh, icing is now used a lot. Buttercream, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. All right, we've got a caller. Uh, Bill is calling in from Meridian, Mississippi, Cherie. So let's see what Bill's got to say. Hey, man, what's happening? Hey, how are you this morning? We're all good. Uh, this may not exactly be in the realm of what y'all have mostly been talking about, but this is a recipe that I don't know if it's southern or not, but I've never seen it anywhere but in the south, and that is artichoke relish. Ooh. Drizzle artichokes, mustard, sugar, vinegar, and it is about the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. Do you cook the artichokes from raw, or do you use the the artichoke halves? You have to, you have to clean them with a brush. Then you chip them up, and really the way to do it is with a pocket knife, but that, you know, that takes two or three days. <laughs> so I the, uh, use the food processor. And uh, then there's uh, the cooking. It takes a long time. You have to stir because of all the sugar. You know, it's about a four-hour cook process. and yeah. uh, But on a turkey sandwich... It is just unbelievable. Man. Drop some by the MPB headquarters. <laughs> These uh, sound, Carol said drop a jar by the MPB headquarters. Next time so you're in the capital it. city. <laughs> well, you get uh, you have to wait for about December for the Jerusalem artichoke roots to be ready, and then you got to be willing to stay in the kitchen for three four days well we want you to you know, stay in really the kitchen <laughs> you know it sounds like hey, making man. sauerkraut or something you know uh braswells used to make it uh, it wasn't as good as the homemade but it did give you a sort of an idea but it's the crunchiness that it adds and it's just it's so good and but I've never seen it anywhere else, so I don't know if it's southern or not. Well, artichokes are not typically thought of as southern, but... As we say in Mississippi, it's Italian. <laughs> Where do you get your artichokes? Let's start with that. Uh, I, When I used to make this, it was uh, there was a farmer down in a little town called Abbeville, Alabama that grew them. And you'd go down there and you'd get them by the gallon. Wow. And it takes quite a few. To Artichoke make. relish. Oh, that but, is terrific. Oh, it is. And it's it's not what you typically think of when you say artichoke. It's a, it's a yeah. hard, more like a turnip root, but it's uh, kind of like ginger. It's knotty, and uh, it has a, has a kind of a tough texture. But 
when you cook it, it doesn't. It softens it some, but not a lot, so it's still really crunchy. So it's, it's kind of like a slaw. It's crunchy. No, it's it's really a sauce. Ah, a crunchy uh, sauce. But it, it has it has chunkiness in it. Well, that's fascinating, Bill. Thanks a, a million for uh, tuning in and listening to, to uh, Deep South Dining. And, and for it's calling. another reason to look forward to December. Absolutely. The Jerusalem artichokes. Cherie, have you heard of an artichoke relish before? I, I have not. I, I No. <laughs> I actually saw artichokes growing in California, but I no, I have not uh, um heard of that recipe. That's very interesting. And I did not know artichokes would grow in Alabama. I thought they were all grown in California or Italy, Carol. In France. And yes. Fran- I, I gave the French right. artichoke to the Italians, but I do think the Italians grow more hmm. artichokes. Well, either way, that's fascinating. We, we love hearing from our listeners, and particularly, Carol, hearing about a relish or a condiment. Exactly. Sounds like it'd go good on peas and beans, yeah. too. Exactly. And, uh, and I hope we'll receive some as a gift. And speaking of overseas, uh, Cherie, you're actually uh, heading to Italy um, in October, correct? That is correct. I'm I'm going to be cooking in Parma and Bologna, uh, Modena. Um, so I am excited about that. Um, we we have a, our son, youngest son, is getting married in two weeks, and after that, we're going to take off to uh, Italy, and I'm going to do some cooking around Italy. Good for you. We look forward to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll get you back on to talk about that. Got another caller on the phone I from. Was, go ahead. Uh, Timothy from Louisiana. What's going on, Timothy? Well, here's what I got to say about the artichoke relish. It's I, a Kansas thing. A Kansas oh, thing. Oh, right. It's not, it's not artichokes. It's Jerusalem artichoke, which is the root of sunflower. Ah, now we're getting to the meat okay. of the matter. The root of the yes, sunflower. Sir, and, uh, the root we're digging of the sunflower. Deep. We're going you dig deep. it up and you, you, you know, wash them off and... Uh, you got to scrub the heck out of them, you know, get the dirt off. But, uh, you know, uh, it's the state flower of Kansas. Uh-huh. And the natives had a, a peace agreement. All the, the, the Plains tribes had a peace agreement that when the sunflowers were in bloom in Kansas, there would be peace among them as they went and gathered up the seeds from the heads and then dug the roots up. So it's a Native American food. Well, Timothy, if, the, if they dug up the roots, would the sunflowers then not come back, or are sunflowers? Oh no, 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 no. The, the, the seeds, the, the you know, the seeds. They didn't gather everything, you know. They left some of them behind, right? You know? A more sensible plan, you know. The seeds Absolutely. where the sunflowers come from, they're not rerooting. They're not growing from the same root every year. Mm-hmm. They're putting down a new root every year, you know. Yeah. Well, that, this is uh, terrific, uh, Timothy. Thanks so much for uh, listening. And if you hadn't been listening, you wouldn't have heard about the artichoke relish, and then you would not have called to clarify. And we would not know. We have we have learned much today, as have our listeners. That's right. Cherie, what do you think about all of this? It's a Kansas thing. It is a Kansas thing. But how about a recipe for zucchini relish? Ooh. Um, I have, yeah, I have a recipe in Serving Up Summer um, for a zucchini relish, and um, it's, you use zucchini squash, um, 
and it is a dynamite of a recipe that you could, again, uh, grate on a hot dog, or you can mix it in uh, with a chicken salad as a relish, um, or even tuna salad. It's really good with that. That sounds terrific. All right. Yes. Well, we don't have another yes. caller. That was it, Carol. So what? I, what's, I was gonna go ahead. I, y'all were talking about um, chest pie earlier. <laughs> yes, on, I think last. <laughs> um, and I, my grandmother's recipe for an egg custard was, and I don't know if you're familiar with egg custards, but this was actually my great grandmother's recipe, um, and which is much like a chest pie. But um, only only three in- ingredients, or maybe four, with when you add the vanilla. Um, so that was one of my favorite recipes growing up that my grandmother um, made. So was, milk, was eggs, a cus- and an sugar. Egg custard. Is that right? Yes, three eggs, um, hot milk. She mm-hmm. used a, a cup of hot milk, and then three fourths cup of sugar and a teaspoon of vanilla, and mix that all together. Um, it, yeah. Now, what a nice thought to go out on. <laughs> yeah, that is some fabulous eating, as they say. Cherie, thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck uh, at the winery at Bellmead and also with your – sounds like you got a third cookbook coming up. I do. I'm working on it. Good for you. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for everybody for tuning in. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We're funded by the generous contributions from folks just like you, and we thank you. Our show was produced by Java Chapman. For our guests, Cherie Rose Kelly and my co-host, Carol Puckett, I'm Malcolm White, and we ask you now to please stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remini at 11, and to join us each and every Monday right here for more Deep South Dining heard only on MPB Think Radio.